Hey everyone, it's 8 o'clock on the uh, East Coast, this is episode 68 versus Media Live, COVID-0. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a little bit better, I'm still a little gunked up, but uh, I'll survive. We've seen protests uh, around provinces of China, regions of China, cities in China, uh, over basically the stringent zero uh, COVID-0 policy by the CCP government. What does that mean? Uh, it means just basically if you test positive, you're removed from society completely. They're building temporary camps or what they claim to be temporary camps under the guise of medical quarantine. Uh, people are made and forced to be locked inside of their homes until they're negative, um, amongst other things. And there's cases of them even being welded inside of their homes. And this all kind of came to a head when there was an, a, an apartment complex fire that killed 10 people. Uh, in one of these provinces, and one of them was a three-year-old child because they would not basically go and pull these people out of this building because of, again, lockdown policy. Uh, people then began flooding the streets, and they actually went to the government buildings in this region and or this province of the city, and they ended up relaxing some of the COVID stuff because of the crowds. And we've seen footage reportedly out of China, and the reason why I say reportedly is um, if you've if you've browsed my Twitter timeline, you won't see me tweeting very many clips, and that is because, as again, as is along the lines of the Iranian protests as well, I'm basically skeptical of just about anything or everything that I see unless it's a source that I 100% trust, and not trusting any source 100% leads to that kind of thing. Um, but there is reported video footage of attacks on police and then health officials and then uh, pushing back as well. And so you're, this is starting to something that's bubbling up, and I will be writing more on this. Uh, I have a piece coming to Examiner next week pretty much on this specific topic. So, yay, you guys get a preview. These protests have basically put both media institutions, global elites, world healthcare, world uh, healthcare experts, government officials – kind of in a tight spot because several of them, and I'm going to remind you just who exactly have advocated for China's strict lockdown policies. It's also hard to, as government officials, or if you're the Biden administration, which we saw a pretty limp dick response today from uh, Sec Press Secretary Kirby, basically saying the White House does not necessarily endorse these protests, but they endorse the right to protest, which is cowardice on an international stage. That's basically signaling to China to send in your tanks. And um, the problem is, is when you endorse these kinds of heavy handed government tactics, now they're being used in a place that essentially started all of this. And it's hard to back protests if you're uh, part of either the North American government, which includes the United States and Canada. If you also labeled trucker convoy protesters, domestic terrorists in Canada. And this is the bind that they have put themselves in. I think that there's room for nuance with those two, but it is an example. Um, so you are seeing media kind of at least report on these protests, although albeit they're taking a very, you know, uh, anodyne tone with them. But I want to take you down a trip down memory lane. And uh, there was a great piece today at the Brownstone Institute from Michael Sanger. Uh, I have no idea what the politics are of this person or this website, but uh, they did a good rundown of all the media outlets that effectively endorsed China's uh, COVID zero or zero COVID policy. 
the New York Times had two pieces uh, in a topsy-turvy pandemic world. China offers its version of freedom. Surveillance and censorship bolster Beijing's uncompromising grip on power. But in the country's cities and streets, people have resumed normal lives. Well, that's a relief. Thank you. The New York Times also printed, U.S. says virus can't be controlled. China aims to prove it wrong. China's approach to keep COVID-19 at bay has helped restore confidence and allow businesses to reopen, but it is a strategy steeped in authoritarianism. So, again, you have two slippery slope arguments here from the New York Times. Here we have the Washington Post. The U.S. has absolutely no control over the coronavirus. China is on top of the tiniest risks. Here's a New Yorker. How China controlled the coronavirus, teaching and learning in the Sichuan during the pandemic. Salon.com, China eradicated COVID-19 within months. Why won't America learn from them? Uh, here's uh, CDC Director Wachel Walensky on the incredible results China was able to achieve with their really strict lockdowns. This is a quote. My biggest challenge with it is this. I think that it is with what Sweden tried to do. This was their plan. What we know from Sweden is that their death rate, their death uh, capita, is 591 per million that rivals United States at 593 per million. To give you a sense of what lockdowns were able to do in other countries, and I mean really strict lockdowns, in China, their death rate is three per million. So when you look at that, what Sweden was trying to do and what they are trying to emulate in Sweden, it didn't work. They were unable to protect them. Um, Jumping out of this list for a moment, the fact that you have so many media outlets and <laughs> the CDC director taking China's numbers at face value is astronomically naive. And it's either you're in the bag with them or you're just ignoring them uh, out of whatever reason. Uh, jumping down, Tom Friedman, former CDC director on how China used to crush the curve. This reflection from an American teacher in Shendu, where COVID lockdowns were strictly enforced, examines the nuances of life in China and how the country was able to crush their curve. And everyone's favorite, Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci was quoted saying, India can learn from China's experience fighting COVID-19. Fauci tells Indian newspaper that building temporary hospitals and lockdowns helped China stop the disease spreading. This is also at a time when India is currently the world's worst affected country with 400,000 new cases. Uh, Bill Gates has praised basically China's lockdown response. Here you had Bruce Allard, uh, who caused a little bit of controversy uh, a couple of years ago when he was asked by Taiwanese t television about uh, Taiwan's autonomous country. And he basically just shut down and said, I can't hear you anymore and, and lost the connection. He's the World Health Organization head of the China mission. And he said, uh, copy China's response to COVID-19. Former Surgeon General uh, Jerome Adams, you don't really want to know an answer to this. This is uh, in response to Carol Markowitz uh, saying, uh, you, want to be con you want to be contrary. New Zealand, Singapore, China, where the virus started, all maintained lower rates. When we did pre-vaccine, they had surges that quickly controlled them, not just with masking, but with mitigation. And this goes on and on and on. And he lists several others, including uh, the Financial Times. Why didn't Wuhan like outbreaks erupt all over China? The answer, strict lockdowns. with Nearly the entire population forced into lockdown in January and February. Diagnoses weren't made. The virus just burned itself out. And uh, this post goes on to list tons more. Everyone's favorite Washington Post tech reporter is still echoing uh the effectiveness of strict COVID lockdowns. 
Subscribe to my Substack at Taylor Lorenz. There is no lasting natural immunity to COVID. You can get COVID over and over and over again because there are so many endlessly evolving strains and antibodies, Wayne. Mostly true. Also, choosing not to kill off millions of vulnerable people in the US, like the U.S. is doing isn't a critical flaw. This was in response to her own newspapers reporting saying the coronavirus outbreak on the verge of being China's biggest of the pandemic has exposed a critical flaw. So you have uh, <laughs> their own reporter coming out against their own reporting, endorsing China's strict lockdown policies because, I don't know, she has a fetish with catching long COVID. That's not the first time. Uh, she, in response to a TED Talk where someone said the West uh, should have embraced China's COVID lockdown policy. She said, to be honest, he's right, amongst other things. So this has painted our media and our elites, everyone from Fauci to the media to World Health Organization to, again, global media, international media, to international leaders such as Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau, into a box of their own creation by basically tacitly endorsing by saying, hey, we should have just done what China would have done. We couldn't, of course, because, hey, we have a thing called <laughs> agency and freedom in our countries. And this also comes on the heel of a report that the Biden administration encouraged uh, the Trudeau administration to basically clear out the trucker protest because it was causing a PR nightmare also in the United States. There were also several media members who endorsed basically treating uh, Canadian truckers who were once again coming out against vaccine mandates so they could work uh, as domestic terrorists. We saw this from uh, Juliet Kayam, who was a former DHS uh, agent, as well as uh, intelligence agents, I also believe at the FBI, and she's now, of course, a CNN contributor, who uh, tweeted famously, the, conv the convoy protest applauded by the right-wing media is as a freedom protest is an economic and security issue now. The Ambassador Bridge link constitutes 28% of annual trade movement between U.S. and Canada, slash their tires, empty their gas tanks, arrest the drivers, and move the trucks. That was her brilliant analysis as far as getting 40-ton uh, diesel trucks off of a bridge from the United States to Canada. And so while these protests are encouraging, and it's encouraging that uh, this information is being shared over social media, you have to remember uh, their stances as they're going to try to memory hold this stuff um, because what we're seeing is an uprising in China that uh, is long overdue. I also don't have a lot of optimism any of it will succeed. Uh, David Burge at Iowa Hawk blog, uh, an incredible, one of the best people you can follow on Twitter, uh, had a good thread today where it said, sadly, recent history, e.g. Iran, has also taught us that authoritarian governments can squash protests violently while other governments don't say or do jack shit. I would love to see a popular uprising in China toppling with CCP overlords, but after Tiananmen Square, Hong Kong, the, and Apple obediently shutting off airdrop, which I'll get to, in China, the smart money is always on the bad guys. Can we be honest here? There is no end to FAN com companies willing to bow and scrape to the Chinese government for that sweet, cheap labor and consumer market, and no end to the WF NGOs and Western pundits who think China is a model for good governance. It is absolutely clear at this point that the COVID virus was a result of a Chinese lab leak, and there's a scarcely a government anywhere that has protested, let alone move for trade or other sanctions. Let's face it, for the most part, Western governments and NGOs have responded to years of Chinese lockdowns, including welding people into apartment buildings, mostly with jealous hard-ons. So exactly how do you think Western corporations and governments will respond now? Xi Jinping now gives the high sign to roll the tanks in and crush its own people. Spoiler, they won't. 
That was probably an unfair prediction there. Apple, Google, et cetera, will probably respond by providing, providing geo-tracking data to the Chinese government so they can more efficiently hunt down protesters. Disney personally gave Xi final cut on all content. NBA award China 10 expansion franchises. For the future efforts of refs and corporations, do you realize there is another Asian country with 1 billion people that has low labor costs, tech, tech talent galore, a semblance of democracy, and doesn't treat its citizens like prison inmates? It's crazy, but it's true. Um, a very sobering analysis and a, and a great thread, uh, uh, basically spouting truths that our media won't out of their own interests. And that's what's going to be interesting to watch here is how this coverage turns and how it's presented. We've also seen Apple, which is now rumored to basically be doing exactly what Yul Roth and Taylor Lorenz suggested they do, which is possibly removing Twitter from its application store. I know Elon Musk has tweeted that Apple is threatening to remove their app. We haven't seen any, any documentation that that's true, but the insinuation is enough to assume it might be. And Apple, in their recent, most recent update in China, has limited airdrop uh, capabilities, which those of you who don't use airdrop, I would hope all of you listening do. Uh, but people, airdrop is, a, is basically a, a Wi-Fi Bluetooth technology where you can transfer data, images, video from one device to the Internet or to another device. And it's a way of getting the word out. And Apple has basically capitulated to the Chinese government to restrict any of that from happening. This is why I've said that the new activists left on Twitter. They think their brilliant strategy is to just simply get Twitter out of the app store. And that will get Elon Musk to reform his ways is mistaken in the sense that if that should happen, Elon Musk will not look like the bad guy in that situation, whether it's Apple and Google or one or the other or both. And so this all feeds into what we're seeing happening in China. And while it's important that it's happening, I echo the sentiments of Iowa hot blog but it's, and again, the reason I'm kind of running down this and I'm going to continue to do this is because you're going to start to see, you're not going to see Anthony Fauci questioned about this. He was on Face the Nation yesterday with Mark Brennan and the question of protest did not even come up. He, he did his wormy little act of, you know, talking about lab leaks. He was on Jay Tapper tonight doing the same thing. But uh, this is a large group of people who basically, as Iowa Hawk Block put it, uh, had a hard on for just how strict China treated its own citizenry, uh, which resulted in, un in numerous millions of deaths that we don't even know about because China's not reporting their numbers accurately. And this idea that we had the CDC, Rachel Walensky, as well as media outlets just going along with what China told us, as well as the lack of complete lack of curiosity by the Biden administration over the last two years as to how this all fucking started in the first place um, is pretty telling. And so uh, while I don't wholeheartedly embrace someone like Elon Musk, uh, if it comes to this, who again also has several deep rooted interests in China uh, with Tesla factories and mining lithium for batteries. Um, when I see someone who is disrupting uh, the current norm, I'm more likely to sit back and, in, and endorse that person over not doing it. Um, the press is trying to write off their sympathetic coverage of this stuff by suggesting that Twitter is undermanned. They said uh, last night as videos started to pour out over the last few days, uh, the Chinese government is, is, is spamming the hell out of Twitter with like porn links and spam links, whatever, trying to make information harder to find. And I guess my question to journalists is I have no trouble finding 
videos. I have no trouble finding photographs. I have no trouble finding clips or stories. Uh, I guess that somehow makes me a better slur word journalist than them. So that's a topic that's uh, what we're going to kind of go into. Uh, I'm always open otherwise to other topics as, as well, but I'd love to hear thoughts on what you're seeing happening in China, um, how that ties into what's happening with Elon Musk and Twitter, which is obviously the topic of discussion for the moment. Um, your opinions, obviously, on just a, China, a, a, China, a sympathetic media to what China is, what they do with human rights abuses. It's incredible that this is somehow what it took for people to start paying attention. So uh, we'll go pretty much uh, for here for about 40 minutes up until the hour. Or if I get more, uh, if I don't have any more people in the queue, I'm certainly not going to ramble for that long. So maybe this will be a short 20 20- 30-minute episodes. So um, if it's your first time, don't be afraid to just jump up, say whatever's on your mind. I already have Jacqueline there and Christoph as well. And uh, just a couple of the ground rules uh, for you newbies if this is your first or second time in here. Uh, if you do decide to jump in the queue, just please mute your microphone uh, if you're not speaking, just so it cuts down on background noise. It doesn't make it as distracting for me. It just makes it easy, more easily listenable. Uh, for the audience on the published recording, which all of these are published recordings eventually. And um, also just if we have a long queue back there, just be mindful that, uh, you know, to kind of keep it short. And sometimes I know that doesn't always happen because I start rattling off a thousand things as well. Um, But with that, we'll just jump in. And uh, Jacqueline, I'm going to take Christoph over you just because I know I had to cut Christoph off last episode. Head. (laughs) Yeah, um, my sound cut off for a second there, but um, yeah, I guess uh, my question was just on the topic of Twitter. Um, there's kind of like a boomer take out there that's like not really anti-Elon, but they're like, oh, uh, focusing on Twitter is just a waste of time. He should just, you know, focus on his rockets and cars and that's all cool. But um, like Twitter is just a waste of time. And I kind of disagree with that because I think it's, extremely influential because every politician and media figures on it, but um, it's possible that I'm wrong and biased because like I spent a lot of time online. So maybe I just have a warped view. So I was just wondering what your take on that is, is Twitter super important and influential or is it just a kind of overrated? It's as influential as mainstream media and journalists make it. And this is their problem is, um, they're, they're already looking for other alternatives beyond Mastodon. There's a place called Post.News, which is a waitlist-only app for basically media and journalist personalities. And uh, I, I've signed up for it on the waitlist, and they bump you up if you can get five people to join, which I thought about using you all folks to help me get in the door there to just kind of peek on what's going on. But uh, tw- the problem for media members or media organizations when they are attempting to leave Twitter. Like, let's say that this is going to happen. They're all going to leave. Well, Twitter's, and I've said this before, Twitter's power base is its instant user news, which is like we've talked about. We, we saw it with this air, this Dallas air show catastrophe where people recorded it, uploaded it to Instagram, uploaded it to Twitter, and journalists were basically just stuck reporting what those people have reported. And they can't compete with that um, as, as this person's name is getting mentioned a lot. And I really hate that. But Taylor Lorenz said all the big centrist neoliberal resistance Twitter influencers are promoting post a Twitter alternative. 
very hard on here. Well, if you're promoting it hard on Twitter, then Twitter's not going anywhere. That's the whole point. Sh you should be able to go find a platform and just go be in your little groups. And Ben Smith of Semaphore Media, who took uh, an undisclosed amount of money from SBX, I might note, said, the question is whether any Twitter rival can shear off specific communities. And that would mean celebrities, uh, news members, you know, people like Adam Schefter, for instance, you know, people who give you live updates for news. And as I noted to Ben, Twitter's power is its instant news user base and journalists just going to their own little gated community isn't going to weaken Twitter. Um, it'll make it quieter, but it won't weaken it. And so, again, you're talking about people who really haven't ever had to build anything. And, and I still think that the answer, if I'm if I had to advise them, is that they have to create their own, essentially they have to create their own Twitter on their own apps. So if, if a, I don't know if a terrorist attack happens and all you do is you trust CNN, you would go to CNN's app and you would scroll their journalists reporting on it. Uh, the problem is most of those people are probably going to be embedding videos from Twitter from users on the ground. And that's always been Twitter's power. It's kind of, you know, the heartbeat of live news. And it's honestly what kind of rendered, you know, the 6 p.m. newscast extinct is I don't have to wait until 6 p.m. I can go find out everything I need to know about this thing right here. Um, I'd be interested to know, like people who aren't on Twitter, how did you learn instant breaking news in this day and age? Because as you know, as someone who's been on this app for fuck, way too many years, about 10 to 12 this is how you basically get your your breaking news, you, whether it be whether it be a an attack of some sort, a natural weather disaster, um, a, a free agent signing in sports, or whatever. It's always broken there for journalists can come to terms with that. Um, they're not going to have another alternative, and that's what to me is what's funny is they're all trying to go over to Post News to create you know, an inclusive community of journalists or whatever like that, but they're all just going to end up just posting content from Twitter, um, which is similar to what they did with, you know, how they made fun of people leaving Twitter for Parler or True Social. It's just like, ah, go find, go be with yourselves. And now they're just acting the same way. And it's. And yeah, it's a good point. I um, like I quit Twitter for a couple of years, but I still ended up on it all the time. Just whenever something was happening locally. Um, or, or even if I wasn't on it, you know, you go out, you open a news website and they have embedded tweets all the time and stuff. Um, and nothing's really taken the place of that as far as I know. Yeah. I mean, the, news organizations have to devalue their own dependence on it. And until they stop treating it like it's a fucking drug, which it is to a lot of news organizations, then it's always going to be here in some form. It's not going anywhere. It might change for people like me who, you know, put out writing and put out content and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit on the higher end of the spectrum. And, and that's only different in the sense of like, say someone like you who just lurks or just uses it for news. Not everyone engages on Twitter. That's the thing. And this is not enough. This is not something that's talked about enough is for even 20% of the country that's on it. Most people just use it as something to lurk and view news and whatever. They don't jump into the political mosh pit. Excuse me. And I would argue that Elon Musk is, I think, attempting to get more of that, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And so um, what's interesting, and this is something else I might write on, is uh, we have a whole fucking 
you know, cottage industry of tech writers who all look like Taylor Lorenz clones, which is just endlessly funny to me. Whether it's NBC or CBS, they all hired like some 20-something brand influencer to be their tech reporter because they're all just copying the amount of attention that someone like that brings from the Washington Post. But for all the tech reporting, I haven't seen any people reporting on the tech that's happening at Twitter. And this is something that I'm going to try to write on. I'm working on a couple of things because I don't want to write it from just my point of view. I want to get people involved in it. So, um, But it's fascinating to me that you know Elon Musk hired the guy who hacked the iPhone. He's the first guy who jailbreaked the iPhone like in 2008. And he also learned how to hack into the PS networks. And he's hired him to work on encrypted DMs and things like this. So Elon Musk is kind of bringing in these coding rock stars into Twitter, even though it's kind of a skeleton crew. But that should tell you maybe they didn't need, you know, 70,000 employees or however many they had or 7,000. I think they had like somewhere upwards of 7,200 employees. Now they're down to like 1,200. And nobody's not a single tech reporter is talking about what's what is actually changing with the tech. What are they doing? Are, what are they cleaning up? And I know that that's not as sexy as the culture war stuff, which Elon Musk is now saying he wants to release all the documentation about banned accounts, which I think is a good thing. But he keeps talking about it, and until he does it, I'm not going to be jumping on his bandwagon. Um, but that's what's interesting to me is is again, as I've said prior, is where. Where is it going and how much of it was outdated and did they have to come in and actually clean up what was going on with the website itself? And again, I, I think what you're going to see is the goal is to make Twitter a competitor of Substack in one way or the other. That's Interesting. Yeah. Another thing they kind of don't really talk about is like for the last 10 years, uh, Twitter's stock has basically been flat and they haven't really develop that much or like they develop things but then they take them away because they're not really successful and they have like a couple copycat features like that spaces that's like a copycat of clubhouse and calling whatever um yeah uh, but they haven't actually done that much um yeah, yeah i mean I, I don't do twitter spaces even i mean i do i do essentially i do what twitter spaces is and i do it here and it's because of i i just don't at the time, I never trusted Twitter's leadership where I could hold I could hold a space where we could openly question, you know, <laughs> human biology and what makes a man and makes a woman without getting my account banned. And, and I know that I we can come to a, a place like Colin, which is run by David Sachs, who is also currently trying to assist with Elon Musk on Twitter. And I know that we can pretty much talk about anything we want. And I have no uh, hesitation or fear, which is why I do this. So, um I think that I would hope along those lines, you're right where you see these apps try to mimic each other, whatever, whatever feature comes out on Facebook, Twitter tries to mimic or vice versa or Instagram then gets bought by Facebook. And then now that's, you, you see these apps kind of try to be each other. And I would hope that, you know, maybe Musk comes in and looks at them and says, how can we make some, how can we make this different from all of those other things? But I mean, the thing you learn is, for all of these unique, brilliant thinkers in Silicon Valley, they all pretty much do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, that's all I really got on that topic. I guess I just have one more quick comment on your actual topic of the day, um, the COVID zero thing. Um, yeah, I have um, a lot of Chinese coworkers that are kind of um, have like very varying opinions of CCP and stuff. Some are very for, some against, but um, a couple of them actually like were are kind you, of. Pro. 
Are you based in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just want to make sure you're not yeah. like, <laughs> I have Chinese yeah. coworkers and I'm on the ground live. You know, <laughs> yeah, I was just curious. That'd be, that'd be great. But yeah, no, but um, some of them actually like were pro CCP until the last kind of round of lockdowns um, just this past summer. Um, when, you, when you say they are pro CCP in what way? How, just, I, I mean, I like relatively have faith that the government was doing a good job. Okay. Maybe not. Uh, I mean, some of them were more so than others, but like relative, not like not the way most of us are. And some of them are not at all. But it was just interesting that that last round of lockdowns was really something that like changed some of their minds. Because, um, I mean, it was pretty bad. They were like uh, killing pets and stuff. Um, talking about this past summer, not even now. I don't even know what they think right now. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Interesting, I think. There's also, I mean, reported, and I don't know if this is true, but it's reported that they, some of the protests around them not being able to watch the World Cup, and um, mm. again, this is this is slight speculation. This is based on things that I've seen, and that part of that is because uh, where they are seeing the World Cup, like online and through uh, VPNs and things like that, they're seeing crowds in Qatar with like no face masks on, and they're still under mandatory face, and so there's all this unrest. But I mean, China is such a big country where it's so it's heartening to see but i mean Mm -hmm. like david bird said it's this is this is kind of how i feel about the iranian women protests i wrote about that at fox news what three years ago and nobody paid a fucking attention to it and so i'm just kind of like okay you know like all right like good luck i i hope you win but for now it's just kind of like you they have no international support whatsoever and that's what i mean about uh, if we can't reckon with what China did with COVID, like even at the UN, because China's on the council that can shut down debate on this. So if they can't even overcome their fucking cowardice there, they're not, these protesters in all these cities, they're not going to be getting like on the ground CIA support to overthrow the government here. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to see corporations really speak out in favor of them. You're not going to see corporations like Disney or movie studios or Marvel or any of these people kind of say, we stand with, you know, Chinese protesters, you've seen a severe lack of that. If you've noticed, if you are on Twitter, if you've all these usual memes that we get from these movements or, or whatever, or digital illustrations or, or uh, backings where, Oh, this is such a powerful image. You're not getting that. And there's a reason why the, 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 the coverage of them from outlets like Bloomberg, which has invested $47 million into the Chinese markets alone this year is very much like, yes, protests are happening. Thank you. And that's it. And so uh, I'm just pessimistic and I'm, you know, I'm probably a little bit, I'm probably too much apathy for this kind of stuff at this point. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens when, you know, a, a new house comes in and they start investigating this stuff. So Christoph, thank you. Yep. Thank you. And I have one that I don't really see a ton back there. So let me move Andrew up. I always like doing this to see if they're paying attention back there. There he is. Hey, Stephen. Hey, um, real quick, uh, your introduction reminded me of a Iowa Hawk blog Twitter thread that really is a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, Hall of Fame tweet. And it's when Juliet KM, you know, suggested to slash the tires and Iowa Hawk blog 
posted a GIF of what happens when you actually puncture a tire, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, like, <laughs> I mean, fridge. still one of the hands down, one of the most funniest tweets I've ever yeah. seen. Um, it, like his whole specialty is like cars and how they work and car parts that identifying. And she's just like, just slash the tires on a diesel <laughs> and on a bridge. And that, I mean, this is someone who worked in, in fucking counter, you know, counter terrorist intelligence. So is that what they're like sitting there suggesting in these meetings? Like, Hey, just slash tires and get rid of it. You know, it's done. Um, and, and like I said, I do think that there's room for nuance in comparing the Canadian truckers to uh, the protesters in Taiwan because they are different. They're protesting. I'm sorry. In China, they're protesting that uh, lockdowns. They, they don't want to be locked down anymore. It's been two years. And uh, the trucker convoy was about vaccine mandates. I think are both are legitimate concerns. But again, it's real hard for me to take the fucking Trudeau administration seriously or anyone who backed them over the trucker convoy uh, over their statements on how brave people are in China at this moment. And this is why this is why they made it so difficult on themselves. They didn't have to. They could have just reported straight on. Here's what's happening in Canada. There's a trucker convoy surrounding the capital in Ottawa. Here's what they're here's what they're demanding or here's what they're asking. They're setting up hot tubs or whatever. And I had a great comment last night where someone said, well, the, t- the protesters in, you know, Tiananmen Square haven't set up a hot tub yet. So just give them a second. Um, but they, they were nonviolent protests. Uh, they never really got violent. It was, hey, we, we don't want vaccine mandates on us. We are truckers. We spend 98% of the time alone, except when we maybe stop at rush stops, but that's an thing. We're not going to go there. Um, and you had our media, particularly in this country, and analysts basically saying these are domestic terrorists, as opposed to listening to them and hearing their demands and listening to their arguments and then saying, okay, well, here's, here's the pros and the cons of what you're attempting to do. Um, I'll tell you what, clear out the trucks and let's talk about this, whatever. Nope, they were labeled domestic terrorists, um, slowing commerce in the country, and they all had to be dealt with. Um, and so that's why you're going to see very generic reporting on these protests. People, most of what I've seen the reporting as far as China's concerned is the size of the protests. And that's about it. And they're obviously the content of what they're protesting. But again, you know, you have outlets like Bloomberg or NBC, which is a multi-billion dollar media conglomerate that has markets in Beijing and in China just going protests are happening. That's all. Thank you. And not to get too far off topic, but um, it's it is quite the uh, difference too, in, in how the rail workers' strike is or impending strike is being covered compared to the Canadian trucker uh, strike as well. The, the the rail workers' strike is not being labeled as um, domestic terrorism. Extreme, correct? Yeah. Yep, and absolutely. It's something that was you know that Joe Biden brokered before the election. He, he spiked the football on it. He held a meeting in the, in the Rose Garden with Pete Buttigieg. And he all said, you know, thank you for coming together to avert this. And then it's another thing where we learn we come out of the midterms and, oh, that didn't actually happen. I've never seen coming out of an election the amount of stories that just crater that before the election were, you know, successes or the Biden administration, whatever, and you can clearly see that some of this stuff was put off. SBX is a, or SBF is a big one. Um, the crypto scandals is, again, a big one. 
And then this is another one where Biden said, no, we got a deal. It's done. And then a week after, you know, a week or two after a national election, it's actually it's not. And so people, I think, get an idea of the shenanigans that are happening uh, with this kind of stuff. But now you have the Biden administration stepping in to basically demand the union workers go back to work because it's the holidays. And once you realize Biden is just an old school politician who doesn't care about much other than uh, tax increases and just being himself in power as a senator, you learn a lot about how this administration works. It's just basically putting off scandal after scandal and, and maintaining yourself in control of power. And that's about it. And of course, the GOP did him a lot of favors in this last election to make sure that at least half, you know, stayed half. And then finally, about how uh, the media is covering the protests in China. Um, to me, it's 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 almost. I mean, the narrative was it was if you were anti-lockdown here in the states two years ago, you were, I guess, more. I guess you were perceived to be on the right or more conservative, and so I, I think that's one reason why the media. Um, was, I guess, complimenting these China lockdowns because it was, you know, it was the complete opposite of that. It's, it's like they couldn't agree with people on the right, so they had to go prop up, um, you know, the complete opposite of what was happening or what, um, you know, what the people on the right wanted. Right. Um, and, that, and that's how it was with Trump on anything. It was whatever whatever position he takes our media automatically stakes out the opposite position, no matter what it is, which is why you end up with like people like Richard Spencer on CNN going, Oh yeah, Trump's bad. And as long as you're that guy saying Trump is bad, you get platformed by Jake Tapper, for instance. And so you're, you're also seeing this a little bit with Ron DeSantis, which to this day, <clears throat> I have no idea how Ron DeSantis got the political left to endorse uh, surgeries, gender surgeries for minors. I have no idea how he did that. All he did was basically come out and say, we're not going to allow taxpayer funds to uh, on gender surgeries for minors, whether it's top surgery, bottom surgery, none of it. And then like the Biden administration came out in support of it because they thought they had to. And that's where we are now. And that's why we're having this entire debate. And I'm kind of like, I can't imagine a majority of this country getting behind that position. And you're going to see this thing where it's like, yeah, I don't really kind of like Ron DeSantis, but he's right on that. And that's an independent voter. And th there was a lot of that with COVID and Trump where, uh, you know, you even had Fauci come out and say later he didn't think lockdowns were stringent enough. He said this on The Rising with uh, Batia uh, Saragon and uh, Robbie Swaft, where he said if I could have done something different, it would have been stricter lockdowns. And this is a guy who praised Andrew Cuomo saying New York is doing everything right, um, where 11,000 dead people because of putting bodies in the nursing homes. And uh, again, a lot of these statements, a lot of especially what Fauci does is dependent upon your faulty memory. And because it's two years ago, uh, people have moved on to current arguments about boosters and how effective those are. And should we even get them if you know it doesn't stop you from getting COVID? What's the point or whatever? And so you really do have to go back, and, and that's what people like me do, is you go back and you pull up these statements and you say, oh, holy shit, here's, here's Fauci telling a newspaper in India to start mimicking what China is doing. And what China was doing was welding people inside of their fucking homes until they died or recovered. 
and then they would go recover their bodies a few weeks later. Um, there, there were stories early on when China was doing this that uh, residents just uh, the smell of dead bodies in their apartment buildings was almost unbearable, but they couldn't fucking leave. Uh, they just they had to deal with it. And here you have Fauci out here just going, that's a good idea. Yeah, do that. And again, these are all things I hope the GOP focuses on uh, with COVID origin stuff. They don't try to get them on, you know, creating a bioweapon or anything like that. We do need to get to the bottom of this. But Fauci is a China apologist. He still to this day, as he just did with Marge Brennan on Sunday, is sitting here saying, uh, you know, it was Trump who politicized this whole thing when we should have been working with China. And if once you go out and you accuse them of killing people, they back off. It's like, no, China did fucking kill people. You twerp. That's what happened. And so, again, this complete lack of curiosity by, you know, the medical class here, and there are reasons for it, and then also the international body over why 16 million people or more are dead over this, like, completely life-changing event. Like, it's it's going to be something that has changed the way we do things forever. Um, and this complete lack of curiosity, I think, is going to rear its ugly head on a lot of these people. And, and again... I would love to see Anthony Fauci asked by a journalist, what do you think about these protests in China? What do you think about, what do you think about the fact they're protesting strict lockdown policies that you yourself endorsed? You're never going to get a journalist to ask Anthony Fauci that question, and he'll never go on an outlet of someone who would ask. Well, couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Stephen, and have a good one. Thanks, Andrew. All right, now I'll bring up Jeff. Waiting. Thanks for being patient with my uh, speaking of authoritarian Q tactics. It's about time. <laughs> um, but yeah, with the whole COVID zero thing, you know, especially like you already talked about the welding of the doors and all this stuff that's been happening for the last two years. But I didn't know if you saw the. Well, you probably did because you see everything. But um, with uh, Taylor, your best friend, that wrote a, a a tweet about someone else that has like thirty point thread about having the QR codes with the red, yellow, and green. QR codes on your phone in order to be able to leave yeah. your house. I know, I know about the... that, but I don't know about her tweets on it. Okay. Well, she had tweeted something. I wrote an article about, like, say, like, yeah, this is a good idea. And, but there was, like, the video of someone in China with a two-year-old that's showing a cell phone. Oh, yeah. No, I've seen that clip. Yeah. Yep. So I'm saying it's like, yeah, it's it's like it's it's right there in the open of a two year old having to walk around with a cell phone to show their QR code to be able to walk to go anywhere, to go to the store, to go to school, to go do anything. And you two year old you know what's happening get swabbed every day. And you know what's happening right now in DC schools? Mm, Over maybe not. Muriel Bowser has imposed in D.C. schools that in order for any student K-12 through to return to school, they must upload to a website a negative COVID test because of the holiday. 
Now because that's not it's... that's not being like you can't walk around, but we're in 2022. Um, I I'm the two I'm in the two timer COVID club, and I didn't catch it over things. I, I had to go to the the morning of. Again, this is where I'm going to join the three timers club. Um, I, I am not newly boosted. At this point, uh, I did my part. I, I, I got vaccinated. I got boosted once, and then I still caught it last year, and it was worse than the first time I had it. So I'm done with all of that nonsense. Um, but in D.C. schools, in order to return to class, uh, students in D.C. schools have to upload a website, a negative PCR test uh, that shows that they're COVID-free in order to return to school. Not symptoms. Not You have a... If you have a positive test, you are not allowed back into school. Exactly. Is that it's, is, all, it's all on the same spectrum at the point. Well, is that a test they have to do every day? Like, how often do they do it? Just one. You're, at, you're asking, the restrictions you're asking are. too many sensical questions, Jacqueline. Because <laughs> I'm like, how like how many times do they do it every day? Do they have to do it? They just Once need, week, like, yeah, no, no, but you're right. Is if you have to, if you have to upload a negative test to come back to school later, do you, because COVID is, is a virus that doesn't always show uh, positive symptoms for. So if you, just because you put up a negative test to show you you're not positive over Thanksgiving, you can still catch it at Thanksgiving and not be shown positive for it until five or six days later. And so it's, yeah, it's pointless. So the question is, why are they fucking doing it? Well, again, this is, this is you know, East Coast cities and liberal-run cities that are doing this stuff. And they just, there is no coherent policy at this moment. And part of that, I think, is on purpose with Biden trying to extend rent moratorium and trying to extend student loan moratorium, which he did through April, or he says he's going to do, which also helps forgive the student loans, which I think is going to get thrown out in the Supreme Court now. And so as we get further and further out of this, and we know that there are going to be variants every year, um, and what you see now, at least in my opinion, is a population that is not scared of this anymore. It can still attack vulnerable populations. And as we saw now, more vaccinated people have died of COVID than unvaccinated. That was the Washington Post. That was Taylor Lorenz's own newspaper. It wasn't the Epoch Times here. Um, it, they can no longer say that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And what I would just summarize is, is to say, look, we are going to deal with this forever. Like, this is just a bug that we have to now deal with. And we know who it affects. It affects people with uh, pre-existing conditions or uh, things like diabetes or older age and respiratory systems and things like that. And if you don't fall into those categories, um, it's kind of like you just kind of have to go out and deal with it. And it's, it's also why vaccination is the lowest it's ever been. Like something like 12% have only gotten this year's booster. And that's how it's going to continue because simply the facts are you can still catch it. You can still transmit it if you're vaccinated. It, it might mitigate your symptoms if you were in a certain age group. And this is the science that has developed. It's the science that we've learned and it's a science that, again, the Biden administration and Anthony Fauci don't want to face. Yeah, and and I, I'm in that um, group that has comorbidity. I do have diabetes, and I, 
I haven't taken the Vex. I think, I, like I said, I think I got this in January 2020. Because I was sick. Like, the sickest I've ever been in my entire life for the entire week. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything for a week. And so, and I've never taken a vaccine. I've never done anything. And I've been fine ever since then. I don't plan on taking the vaccine. Um, I'm also black. So, you know, black people don't like taking government-issued vaccines. So, it's just one of those things where I'm like, Unless they can prove something to me, which it hasn't, like, over time, we've seen that it hasn't been proven. Because, like you said, everyone that's gotten 17 shots still gets it every day. And every leader in the, in the entire world is like, oh, I got my, I'm so glad I got my fifth booster and then, but I have COVID, but it wasn't that bad because I got my 17th shot of of COVID vaccines. So I'm like, what's the whole point of this? Uh, I am your doctor, your personal physician, and your personal physician recommends it to you, and then it's still up to you. That's where I'm at. I don't. I, I'm so past the point of caring about this debate, and I, I think I just lost interest in it when I got it for a second time last year. <clears throat> And uh, like I said, when you do everything that you're told to do and you do everything like supposed right and, and, I, and I don't think it's necessarily like they deceived people on the vaccine. I definitely do think that there are parts of this like natural immunity that Fauci and others downplayed because of the OSHA mandate that they were going to try to impose. And again, they tried to paint people who are anti-vaccine mandate as anti-vaxxers. And that's what the whole Canadian trucker convoy thing was about. There was a strain of anti-vaxism coming through that, but the primary argument that was made was that we're fucking truckers, okay? I spend, you know, however many hours in the week, 40, 48 hours of the week on the road by myself, okay? So even if I catch COVID, I'm already isolated in my own little cab. So it doesn't really matter. And there was no room for nuance in that discussion. It was either you get this, and especially in Canada, it was you get this or you're a domestic terrorist and you're slowing commerce down. And again, as our as Andrew just stated again, look at the look at the difference, and I know there are different circumstances between how that convoy was treated and now how the rail union strike is being treated. And that's and that's not over COVID. But again, if you're if your goal is to hold the country hostage to slow commerce, either you're a domestic terrorist or you're not. Um, and so I don't really, I've had people talk to me about vaccination status now and I've had this and I, my eyes just glaze over, not with you, Jacqueline. I'm just saying in general, I'm just not interested in that debate anymore. Uh, go to your doctor. If your doctor suggests and you trust your doctor and your doctor says you probably should get this because of your condition. Well, then it's probably up to you then, but you should probably do what your doctor suggests. There's, they still are doctors. Um, the question has always become, Again, the, the authoritarian and the heavy handedness of these policies. And that's always been the problem, whether it's been in Canada or the United States, which is where I think Joe Biden really overplayed his hand with the OSHA mandate. And he had two real big fuck ups in his presidency that I, I think he won't recover from. And one is the pullout in Afghanistan. And two was the OSHA vaccine mandate when he said during the campaign he will not impose a vaccine mandate. So, Jacqueline, I'll go ahead and uh, give you the last word, but go ahead. 
Yeah, I would I would agree with you on that with the, those two big fuck ups with his administration, and also I was gonna say like my brother's a radiation oncologist, so he has to he had to take the vaccine. He has to keep up with his boosters in order to keep his job because he deals with ca- cancer patients, and his employer requires it, and he gets tested three times a week. Because, like I said, he's dealing with cancer patients, so that's part of his job. He has to do it. And and also, as you said, I don't care if people want to take the vaccine. I wasn't an anti-vaxxer. Just, it was just the mandates. And if you, like, people that work from home, because even now, if you look at jobs online... Even if you're working from home, some employers require you to be vaccinated if you're working in your house. Like, you're not going to infect the entire office if you never have to go into an office. So just everything just doesn't make sense. And people are just getting tired of it. And so I don't know if it's going to be reflected in the 2024 election unless things change with the administration in the next couple of years. But I would think that it would, because people are getting really, really tired of it, especially with kids. And especially all the stuff with this pedophile clothing designer company that I had never heard of until like a week ago, all that stuff. So... That's a whole nother thing for a different day. But, yeah, that's all I was going to say. It's always good to hear from you, Jacqueline. Jumping in. I'm going to go ahead. We'll just go through Andrew Robert and wrap this up. It's just been kind of good and fun. Go ahead. Uh, Well, Stephen, it's just, I've all, um, I wonder how much of this has sort of been a, of a backfire. Um, the zero COVID policy has been a bit of a backfire because it worked so well at what they were really interested in in 2020, which was crushing the Hong Kong protests. Remember, there was this huge push and it looked like everyone was going to really begin pushing yep. against it because it was just so out in the open. But when COVID came and knocked the world out, China used that opportunity to crush all remaining resistance. And there was a op-ed in the New York Times gave space to uh, a Chinese diplomat official who said, "Like it or like it or not, Hong Kong belongs to China." And to me, to me, China getting away with it in Hong Kong has always been a dry run for Taiwan. Although I would argue Hong Kong is a bigger deal, um, but that was the biggest thing behind that, and the world shrugged and moved along, and. That is why for all of the, we must stand up for Hong Kong, whatever like that. And then China just dangled the keys in front of our media's face and said, hey, we have these. Uh, That was pretty much the end of it. And you're right about uh, how that clashed with COVID. And um, as I said, to, to me, what happened in Hong Kong was always, always a dry run for Taiwan. It was whether or not China was taking notes about the world's reaction to Hong Kong. I guarantee you they're fucking taking notes now 
and they see that there's not going to be a reaction. There's just simply they're, they're going to get away with this. It's why I think these protests, we won't even be talking about them in a week or two because they're going to they're going to quash these protests. They might do it violently. And all they're going to get is a stern lecture from, you know, the White House press secretary who won't even go on to name why these protests. Yeah, that's fair. It's just it's it's frustrating and it does sort of feel like it's just going to things are going to get ugly. Um, I mean, you hear like there's you see things like there's does seem like there's if things don't improve or China, these really get out of control. I would not be surprised if there are some real economic issues that come about from it. And I think that we when, may when you, when you say economic issues, what do you mean specifically? Well, one of what is China's been most famous strength as an economic power? It is it's a, it's it's people. It's having so many people who are working. If China, if this protest continues to grow, like I hope it does, and the backlash becomes too violent and they make a mistake and somehow it hurts the ability to work alongside, you know, you see Credit Suisse in um, in Germany and um, and the German banks dealing with um, near almost certain, at least a couple major European banks look like they're about to go under because they have way too much invested in China and and in Russia, because that's just how the systems worked for so many years. And you see that, like, again, like you're talking about with this, uh, um, with the communication um, about fixing everything with the railroads. And it's like, I think there's a much higher chance of system collapse than people are giving credit for, uh, if you know what I mean. Uh, if you've, that so many of these systems have been built and built and built up together with China, with Russia with all of these systems that in some ways I understand, even though I deeply disagree with it as an American, I understand why there's this terror in the hearts of the, of the Biden administration. Cause if this gets really ugly in China, it could be a spark that sets the whole world on fire. And that is something no one really wants. And that that is the terror system that we have become so interconnected that we should have long ago pushed ourselves out from it when we were we're in the process of it i mean you see apple moving into china but they're still doing things like the dropbox which is horrible but i understand why there's this terror that so much money is still invested in it that if it goes down it might cause a actual depression and I understand why that would be the most. And as bad as the recession was when you know you and I were getting out of college, if a, a natural depression would be a catastrophic event. Yeah, I mean, well, we're already we're already going to be in a double dip recession. Biden's problem is, is he's not going to be able to blame that on the Republicans now, like he thought he was going to be able to. So he's got that problem. And then again, this is why you're seeing a kind of muted response to these things is because China, China could kick media outlets out of their entire market. And you're right about their population. Their population is, is China's driving force. That's why Hollywood is deeply invested in them. That's why entertainment is deeply invested in them uh, because they have just billions of people who will just buy Western culture and the tacit agreement they have with each other is China's like, we'll let you, We'll let Western media operate in our country, 
Um, but you better not get, you know, you better not criticize us and you better not, you know, get on our backs over some of this shit. And, you know, China's basically said, we will make you all very, very, very rich. And somebody even said this today, um, or it's a quote where they said China's kind of agreement with a lot of these companies is we're going to make you millions of dollars. And in turn, you're going to kind of just shut the fuck up about our camps over here uh, with the Uyghurs and in Xinjiang. And the media companies just went, okay, that's fine with us. Hey, you know, the U.S., we kill black people, so it's not like we're totally harmless. Yeah, you gotcha, you know, and that's what they're doing. Um, but it's harder to do that when it's their own population who's just like, we're tired of this. And now, as I stated kind of at the outset, it's harder for media companies to come out here and say, oh, wow, shit, people are really tired of this now. Um, hey, what's why are oh, it's over COVID policies we endorsed. Oh, that's no good. OK. okay. And so, again, it, it, what the Biden administration is doing by ignoring the root cause of these protests is they're setting they're setting it up for violence where China's just basically all China has to do uh, if they really wanted to. And I don't know, maybe they're smart enough to be listening to this podcast is if they really wanted to be, if they really wanted to like shut down media outlets, all these Chinese state accounts on Twitter would just be reposting quotes of Fauci saying, Hey, we're just doing what the experts told us to, or the world health organization or whomever, all of these people I ran down the list of prior to this, you know, prior to this happening, China, all they have to do is go, Hey, we're just doing what Western media and what Western health experts said we should do. Hey, don't look at us. And I mean, uh, risking you never got a hand it to them drill tweet you know on twitter.com i don't know why they wouldn't do that because here you have them and this is why it's such you have fauci now on jake tapper show tonight and I, granted i haven't seen the show so maybe it happened and you have him on marge brennan on face the nation yesterday which i know for a fact didn't happen and they haven't asked him what do you think about the protests in china over over strict covid lockdowns which you kind of endorsed what do you think about that Jeez, I never did that. That's ridiculous. Jeez. And that's what he would do. And he'd do that act. But the fact that no journalist is even willing to ask him that is really telling. And that's what this is all about. So you, you, you're right about we might come to an inflection point where China just says, fine, here you go. But I got to tell you, if two years of recession and maybe a borderline depression is what it takes to cut us off from that country, I might be willing to take that. And I know that I'm someone who's not, you know, nuclear family, four kids and three SUVs in a, in a house or whatever. Um, but I've said it from the beginning over COVID, you have to cut them off and, it, and it'll be painful. Um, and what I mean, I mean the world. I mean, you have to isolate them in a way that they've attempted to isolate Russia and even if China goes, well, we have all of these economic things we can do to you, you just say, fucking do it, and we'll, we'll come out of it. But you're not going to hold power over us anymore. Um, but again, the complete lack of interest over the Democratic Party and the Joe Biden administration over the last two years to hold any hearings on COVID origins, anything, whether it's friendly or about Fauci or about uh, the NHS or the NHID or whatever it is, uh, is that needs to come to an end and we need to look into this right now. And so we might get that. I also think that, I also think the Republicans are going to blow it and just focus too much on Fauci for votes and donations. So. Okay. Well, 
Thank you for depressing, but uh, that's just where these conversations couldn't go with China. Um, I'll go quick, but one last thing I have to say is, you know what? I may have my team may have screwed up its draft positioning, but at least we didn't trade two picks. Go Panther! Yeah, I, I mean, what's so funny about that whole thing is people people think that I'm miserable or whatever like this, and I have just been. I'm very much my position on my football team is very much like my position on U.S. politics, which is I'm sitting here pouring a bottle of water, pouring a bottle of water over my head while the room around me goes up in flames, <laughs> because it is such an it's not it's the worst football I've ever seen in my life, but it's such an interesting mess that they're in, where now I'm at the point where I'm just like, huh, I'm kind of wondering how they're going to get out of this. Like, I woke up today and I'm like, oh, that dude's still the fucking coach. Okay, well, I guess they're not going to do that this week. Um, I, ma- I made a joke. I'm friends with a couple of guys in Denver radio um, who, are, who are just great dudes. They're, they're, they're kind of half, uh, half sports, half culture nerds, which is sort of like what I am. And I told them, uh, that I really, and I, and I, I know I listened to him online and I'm kind of like, I said, uh, I wondered when they got Wilson, what you guys were going to talk about. Cause all they've talked about for a year that I've been listening to was how bad the Broncos quarterback situation is. So like genuinely, I, I was like freaked out. I'm like, what the fuck are these guys going to talk about when, you know, Denver's nine and three or whatever. And the quarterback play is great again. And what is it? Because talk radio is always more interesting when you're talking about a train wreck. Okay. It's not, it's not interesting when you're talking about how, how great the train is running. And I told him just recently, I'm like, I know you guys fucking hate it. I know you probably hate coming in every Monday and just being like, Oh, this is the worst. This is a nightmare upon nightmare because it's the worst offense. You're going to fire the coach. The quarterback is broken and you gave up five draft picks and you, and Oh, by the way, you can't unload him for three more years. (laughs) And I just said, but it is the best radio. I said, it's so entertaining to just hear you guys so pissed off. And that's kind of how I look at it. Like, I'll watch every game just to watch how bad it is. uh, Because how bad it is is actually entertaining to me. And as I've said, uh, I look at it and I go, I have three three Super Bowl trophies uh, that I hug. And uh, the rest is just kind of entertainment from here. I mean, I like, I got three Super Bowls. I don't, there's people who are not going to see one in their lifetime you know, Browns, Jets, Texans. And so I kind of look at that and go, I have those. I'm okay. So everything from here on out is, um, is a uh, gravy. Uh, sorry. I actually kicked Max off. Um, sorry, Daniel, I'm going to wrap up. With... I'll take, I'll take you towards the top. Uh, but sorry, Daniel, you just joined a little too late. Cause we're wrapping up with Robert who is, he, it's weird. He, Robert always ends up last for some reason. I've noticed this a few times. <laughs> yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. Go ahead, Robert. Am I coming through? All right, cool. Um, yeah, no, I was just saying a couple of things and observations and I often listen a lot of times. I think I've mentioned to you, I've got a few things. I'm a full-time pilot with a very large corporation and I've got a couple of businesses, four young kids. So I often listen and I can't chime in. However, I've also realized this week, um, I'm an old man. You're talking about football. I was a walk on in college and I love the sport. I used to watch it at every little bit. I haven't watched much of it. I know about the train wreck going on in Denver right now. And it is, I don't know how they're going to get out of it. I mean, I'm listening to you talk about it. So funny. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, it is. 
I don't like you said. I they was, got three I was, years. I'm, I am. A, I am a born in orange fan who watched his mother cry during the '80s Super Bowls, and it's it's such an organization with so many great highs and so many fucking low lows. Like you have all of those '80s Super Bowls. You have the Seahawks Super Bowl which was just a catastrophe from the first play. There was nothing in that game that was great. And then you, of course, have the, the helicopter, and you have Elway winning two, and then you have Manning going out on one. And that's kind of how I look at it. I'm kind of like the one unstable thing about it is you don't have the Bolins there anymore. Like, Pat Bolin's gone. He's a guy that would have fucking fired Hackett four games ago and just been like, we're not doing this. Like, it's over. I don't care. Put Evero in charge, whatever. But... Um, it's so spectacular to watch to where it's so painful, but if you can like remove yourself as a fan and just laugh at it and just be like, I can't actually, I literally cannot believe that this is as bad as it turned out to be. And and if you appreciate trolling, then you also appreciate things Seahawks fans are doing. I saw a great photo online where, uh, someone was wearing a Russell, uh, a, a Seahawks fan at the game was wearing a, Ru- a Russell Wilson three jersey, and over the name tag he put t- uh, two first round picks instead of the name tag, and you just gotta laugh at it. You just gotta go. Nobody, nobody thought this was gonna like in your wildest dreams how bad this went, and it's like it, it's a historically bad offense paired with a pretty fucking not historically good but the second best defense in the league. And you're just kind of like, yeah, okay. All right. I guess it's like Matt Damon walking in at the end of the part. It's like, that's where we're at. So, I mean, I'm more interested to see how they get out of this. Like they should just be begging Russell Wilson to retire because that's the only way they're getting out of it. Just going like, Hey man, just go retire and go run your golf company or whatever. And we'll pay. No, that's, that's going to have to be the solution. We've got two years, three years tied up. I'm sorry, two more years, three years tied up with them and the contract, I mean, cap all around. They're screwed if they don't somehow, I mean, somebody under the table pay him. I mean, like I, like I said, I used to love the sport and watch it a ton and I think I know a lot about it. Um, I have seen some of the quote highlights of that film. I mean, their play and it is atrocious. But anyway, what got me started on that real quickly is, Yesterday, I was at home. I, I'm not working this week um, other than my own businesses. And I had the kids here. And I was like, you know what? Instead of watching football, I was like, oh, we watched the World Cup. I mean, I, was, I mean, that's why my, I'm getting to be an old guy. It, it was it was entertaining. So anyway, I just thought that was sort of a funny little sidebar when you were talking about football. The um, World Cup was entertaining is a comment that might get you booted off this live podcast. Dude, I, I'm telling you, when I, I, I'm a little bit older than you. I don't think much. But it, I, 10 years ago, I'd have been like, hell no. Um, hell no, which is why I'm saying now it's really quite funny that that's why I thought that was sort of the revelation I had tonight and yesterday. But, um, real quickly, the Elon Musk thing, it's, I got off of Twitter for sanity. I mean, just because it just, I don't do anything with much on social media. We have to with our businesses, but I get other people to manage that. But, um, Twitter is amazing. Just like you said, because I got off it for a while. And then I got back on it when the Afghanistan thing was happening because you had boots on the ground. You were getting firsthand accounts and unfiltered media. Um, and then I got off it again for a little bit. I can't remember. I think post-election, we got back on it after Elon bought it. Oh, by the way, I'm a verified user. <laughs> I'm paying my $8. But it's like, I guess I haven't been, the last couple of days I've been working, 
how serious is this Apple shutting him down? I love Apple's products. If they if they were to deplatform him, I'll, I'll go to freaking Cricket Phone or something, someplace to just out of spite. And I'm not someone that moves money around or makes decisions based off of politics. If I like a product, I'll buy it and use it. But if Apple does that, I'm I'm I mean, and I have Apple stock. I've probably got a hundred thousand dollars of Apple computer stuff that I have used in my business and my family. I'll burn it all. Well, you you need to be telling Apple that, not me. Um, but to answer, I mean, to answer your question, how serious is it? I think that there's a better than not chance that it actually happens. I don't think Google does it um, because I think Google knows smart business when they see it. Apple to me is a company that, especially with Tim Cook at the helm, Apple is a company now that's run, again, like effective altruism. It's we're going to do what we think we can do for the planet while under the table over here, we're going to have slaves in China making our product. But that's what they are. That's what they appear to be. And so if Apple... If Apple has enough pressure put on it, and I don't think this would be the case with Steve Jobs. I think Steve Jobs would probably be more akin to Elon Musk if Jobs were still alive today. Um, And it has nothing to do with political ideology. It just has to do with people who are disruptors, who are out-of-the-box thinkers, and a lot of those people gravitate toward each other. Um, And so you see that right now, Twitter, with Jason Kalkanis and David David Sachs working with Musk and a few others, these kinds of people who don't fit the box of Silicon Valley. You could argue Peter Thiel is someone along those lines. Um, But Twitter is a company who is very much based on the reputation of vibes and feels which is what progressive activism is based on. So if progressive enough activists at places like the Washington Post, at the New York Times, CNN, whatever, can put enough pressure on Apple to where Apple thinks that this is going to ruin their image, um, then I could see I could see Apple doing it. Um, I, I really could. I think it's probably more of a serious threat than people are taking. And part of that is, is because the head of Apple's tech department, product department, deleted his Twitter account. So that says something there. Now, he could come back and there's things like that, but it really does look, you know, the second that Yul Roth and uh, Alejandra Carballo are sitting here and Taylor Lorenz are basically saying, this is the strategy. We're going to come after Apple to do this. It's because they think they can, as opposed to Apple just saying, we have no intention of moving Twitter in its current state from the, from the App Store. Now... Elon Musk also stated Apple suspended all advertising on Twitter over the last two weeks. And um, again, and and I don't know how serious Elon Musk is saying Apple's threatening to remove them from the App Store. I think Musk needs to show verification on that. I think he needs to either show a statement or reveal a quote or at least talk to a news source on that. Um, I think Musk is enjoying how much he can manipulate now the platform. And I don't think that that's a good or a bad thing. It's just who he is and what he's doing. Um, but a, lo- a lot of this stuff is activist driven. They have nowhere else to go. They've been kicked out of the Twitter building. So it's how can we hurt this platform? And they found their way that they think they can do it. And I do think that the threat of Apple removing the app from the store, I think, is probably more serious than people are taking it for. It's something that would not shock me if it happened tomorrow. I don't think it'll happen tomorrow. Um but the idea that this is even being considered because of what they did to Parler and Glenn Greenwald uh, pointed this out 
is uh, he said this is exactly how Parler was destroyed for its refusal to obey the censorship orders of D.C. Democrats. Apple and Google removed the app from their stores, which crippled it. He said threats of doing the same to Twitter have clearly been raised, and it's an insane abuse of monopoly power. And this is what's so crazy about the political left cheering on Apple and Google doing this. It's, it's, it's so weird to me how in the recent years the populist right has switched places with like the institutional left where the institutional left is now all about FBI investigations and shutting down school board meetings and impeachment investigations and having NatSec people all over MSNBC. Like they run the place pushing Nat, you know, NatSec talking points and large government surveillance talking points and cheering on monopolies like Apple and Google for getting rid of Twitter because they just simply took the toy away that they didn't like. And this is, you know, whether or not I, I agree with some of the stuff or not, it's just been fascinating to watch these sides flip. And like I said, me personally, if you would have told someone like me 10 years ago that I would be conversing or retweeting or even mildly talking with someone like Glenn Greenwald, I, I wouldn't, I would have fallen over. I wouldn't have believed me. And yet, but here we are. And it's, it's generally because we see the collusion of big tech with big government as pretty much the biggest threat to free speech and free expression, certainly that I've ever seen in my lifetime, certainly more than the PMRC, certainly more than the fairness doctrine, but it's all rooted in the same ideology. And to me that this is the, this is the biggest issue that almost needs to be defeated. And you're seeing why in places like China where Apple just goes, Oh yeah, we're shutting off airdrop now. Sorry. And they know that not that big, well, journalists might question it on Twitter or they'll question it. They're not going to get a spread in the New York Times going, why is Apple shutting down airdrop for, you know, protesters, freedom protesters, which is really what it's about in places like Xinjiang and Tiananmen Square. And so the idea that Musk is kind of now standing in their way to doing this is fascinating to me because I don't want to say the political right because I'm hesitant to idolize anyone in Musk's position. But the idea that you have someone who's now powerful enough to stand up to these, to this kind of oligarchy style of tech thought uh, is increasingly interesting to me. And so how realistic is it? I think it's more real. I think it's more, it's more plausible than not that Apple actually does remove Twitter from the store strictly over just, doing what activists tell it to because they're threatening. They're basically saying we can't threaten Elon Musk reputation, but we will come after yours. And I think Apple cares too. Fuck. Well, I do hope that, I mean, even I, I hope that that doesn't at all happen at all. Cause like I said, I love their products. Um, Musk, I, I agree with you 100%. He's one I, I respect. He, I, I, there's a lot of people in life that I can look at them and I say, I like this attribute about you, but I don't really much. I don't idolize you. I don't want my children being like you. Musk is one of those people. He's absolutely brilliant. He's an innovator and he gets things done without a doubt. However, he's also he's not my champion. I mean, I, I love what he's doing for free speech, but I'm not holding him out to my children is I want you to be like this guy. Uh, I don't know enough about him. I'm not. But I do enjoy the fact that he is at least taking right now. He's 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 drawing all the he's drawing all the fire in this um, in this fight, and I, I appreciate him for doing it. Which is why I'm now a registered or verified user on Twitter, which I could have cared less about. Um, but anyway, I always enjoy your show. I always enjoy listening to you, and I appreciate it. Uh, no, thanks for uh, thanks for joining, and, and thanks for calling in, Robert. 
Um, Daniel, once again, uh, I apologize. I'm back here Wednesday because I'm doing Kennedy tomorrow night. But uh, Daniel, if you can jump in, I know you you always come in on some of these and I, and I want to get you up, but uh, it was just getting kind of late. I like to keep these now tighter and around an hour. So uh, I do apologize. But uh, once again, thanks to my callers. It's such an interesting topic. Again, when you bring up some of these past statements, these companies have made and, and kind of my hope in doing this is that you don't forget some of these things they've written, some of these things they've said. And so when you see them kind of taking different positions now, uh, you see the value in reminding them uh, of their words and stuff and, and just how influential and power that can be when you push back against media narratives, whether you're just arguing with someone you're posting to Facebook or you're someone with 20 Twitter followers, it, it doesn't matter. It's always more voices, not less. Uh, so again, this is this has been a good episode and I think an important episode. So this has been episode 68, COVID-0 on the China protests and kind of the media hypocrisy behind it. Once again, thanks to my callers. And again, more importantly, thanks to the audience. Uh, like I said, you keep uh, Versus Media Live, this podcast, up towards the top uh, on this app. And it is a good app. And I'm thankful for David Sims for just letting us do this freely. And so, uh, again, thanks to you guys. I will try to be back on Patreon tomorrow. I, I, I have a schedule filling up with writing and some other stuff. Um, but I will certainly, if you subscribe over there, which you should, um, I will send out a notice, hopefully as early as possible. But I also will be on Kennedy Fox Business tomorrow night, Kennedy, 7 p.m. Eastern. So be sure to tune in for that. And uh, if for some reason I can't fit it into record tomorrow, I will be definitely back Wednesday. And I will also probably be back here Wednesday talking with uh, maybe open topic or anything on this. So be sure to come back. So again, thank you guys. Thanks to callers. Uh, go enjoy the rest of your night and uh, the, the march towards uh, 